Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Tonight is all about change and I want to ask you, do you genuinely believe that people can change? Uh, Let me ask it more personally. Do you think God can change you? Uh, How optimistic are you, if you're you're a disciple of Jesus, uh, how optimistic are you that in 12 months' time, you would have grown in maturity as a follower of Jesus? Uh, There's a question for you. Uh, Maybe you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still trying to work out what Christianity is. Maybe you're still confused. Maybe you're struggling to trust God. Do you think God can change that? Uh, We've got a big prayer here at Salt. Uh, We're praying for a flood of lifelong disciples in Wollongong and beyond. Do you you actually think God can change the people of Wollongong? Uh, They're the questions we're thinking about tonight. Uh, Have open in front of you Titus chapter 2. That's the book we're in. That's the series we're in. Uh, if you've just joined us, what, is the, what are we looking at here? It's the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Titus. Titus is an elder, a leader, a pastor uh, on the island of Crete, off Greece in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Crete is this famous, famously pagan place, uh, full of people who are ignorant of God or anti-God, or just doing their own thing, like living life the way they think best for them. And I reckon if we were receiving this letter from Paul, if we were given the job of doing ministry on the island of Crete, I reckon you'd be asking the question, will there be any real progress here? Will there be any real change that takes place on this island? You know what's really extraordinary? You look at these, these verses tonight and they are exceptionally optimistic. They are full of confidence that God can change people. Uh, they even tell us how God can change people and they even answer one of the questions we, I think people were getting at with some of the Q&A last week. How can I possibly do what God asked me to do? Uh, where is the, what am I going to, what's the resources I'm going to call upon if I'm going to live a life that pleases God? Uh, Change is hard, some things um, seem destined to fail, Uh, one of those is me playing music. Uh, Lots of people have tried, Um, I have great admiration for people who are gifted in music um, because I'm so hopeless at it. that's destined to fail, me doing music, but what, what could be more certain to fail than expecting sinful human nature to change? Uh, what, would, what would be more impossible than, than moving someone who's against God, ignorant of God, doing their own thing, to becoming a person who loves God, loves Jesus, uh, wants the, what He wants has a deep obedience for him. Those things say, it seems impossible, and yet these verses say that it's possible. It's interesting that we, we think too highly of ourselves, it's actually quite arrogant, isn't it? We think God can save me, he has saved me, but he can't save someone else. Um, but God here says he can, 
And it's not just that God calls us, uh, commands us to live a certain way, He actually transforms us, He empowers us uh, to live His way. And I want to say, as we think about this tonight, this is a massive breakthrough for humanity. Uh, You think about all the problems of the world, uh, and you think about all the people in the world who are trying to solve a problem of the world, uh, it's massive, isn't it? Everyone's looking for change. God's answer looks really weak, the gospel, uh, but it has great power to change people dramatically for all eternity. Uh, I remember a, a doctor saying to me once, uh, your job is so much better than mine because you see real change in people's lives that will last. Um, what am I doing? I'm just treating sick people who will get sick again and will eventually die. I'm just trying to extend that out for as long as possible. Uh, it's got a very limited life. Uh, and, and you might think, you look at the church and you go, it doesn't look powerful when we uh, bring the gospel of Jesus to people when we pray, but there is the most powerful thing in the world to change the world. And just think for a moment, some of the people that have to enact change in our world and solve problems. Imagine being the treasurer of Australia. Imagine thinking every year with the Australian Taxation Office, how are we going to get people to actually pay their tax this year? Uh, how, how good would it be if, if no one cheated on their tax? It's, it's a very minimum bar, isn't it? Uh, we're not looking for people to be generous or, or pleased to pay their tax. Just pay what they owe. Uh, imagine the, the treasurer saying, I just want everyone to be honest. Do you think that would change people's hearts? Uh, or think about um, someone who's in authority, who's genuinely interested in uh, ending the bloodshed between Israel and Palestine. Um, imagine them just saying, I just want you to put your weapons down and be nice to one another. Will that change hearts? Well, Imagine, imagine someone who's an employer in a private practice or a government uh, organisation trying, trying to make a safe workplace and saying to that workplace, here are the rules of how you are to treat someone. Will that change hearts? In so many ways, it's, it's working on the outside of a person, isn't it? Uh, it's making rules, it's writing legislation... It's giving warnings or ultimatums. It's incentivizing people. It's imposing fines. Uh, it's issuing penalties. It's educating people. But it doesn't change the heart. See, what God is doing, he's working on our hearts. He's working on the inside. He's actually able to make a person genuinely different. A person who now wants New, de- new things, has new desires, new ambitions, new, new motives, new strength, new resources to call upon. And so when, he, when God calls us to this way of life that we saw last week, uh, look, look with me, back in early in chapter 2, uh, things like verse 2, teaching older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Uh, later on he says, verse 6, uh, young men, I want you to be self-controlled, Uh, He says in verse 3, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, 
not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach younger women what is good. He's not just telling us those things, he's actually saying, I will transform you, I will empower you so that you want to do them, so you want to live this way, he'll provide for us. But you can imagine pushback from people when they hear Paul on this, can't you? Uh, it's, it's, as I said, I think it's some, one of the questions we got last week at the Q&A. How can I possibly do this? Uh, how can I be this kind of man? How can I be this kind of woman? How can I be this kind of employee? It's so radically good, but it's so against my nature. And God says here, no, no, it's, I will, I'm asking you to do it. I'm also providing for you. I'm not just commanding you, though, I'm actually transforming you as well. And how does, how does God do it? Well, two parts to tonight's talk. Two things that are very powerful. The arrival of grace and the arrival of glory. So the arrival of grace and the arrival of glory. So first, the arrival of grace. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Uh, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. See, it's the arrival of grace that changes the world. Uh, our efforts, in comparison, seem pathetic, don't they? Uh, they seem like band-aid treatments to a serious disease. They feel like painting over rust or colouring grey hair. They actually don't make a difference. They're superficial. But here we've got God's kindness appears. And what does it mean that God's kindness has appeared? It's, it's like, well, God's kindness has always been there. It's been there all the way through the Old Testament. God, God showed his kindness in the creation. He shows his kindness through saving a people, Israel. But then he shows his kindness in a person, in the person of Jesus. Uh, you could say Jesus is God's kindness personified. If you want to see God's kindness in its maximum, look at the person of Jesus. There you'll see God's grace, God's kindness. Uh, in John's biography of Jesus, the Gospel of John, uh, John says, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There is Jesus personifying God's kindness. And it's a really interesting word he uses here, the word appeared, I think chosen very carefully by Paul, uh, very rarely used in the, Old, in the New Testament, but it's the word used in Acts to describe the appearing of the sun, the rising of the sun in the morning. There the sun appeared. So Paul's on his journeys through the Mediterranean Sea, uh, overnight is in darkness in the early hours of the morning, it's chaotic, it's scary, it's it's a terrible situation. And then he says, the sun appeared on the horizon to change everything. And so it's like when Jesus came to the world, it's like the world changed from night to day. Suddenly, everything is different. Uh, suddenly, we're not hopeless and helpless in the dark. Suddenly, we're not, we must be the answer to the chaos. No, no, the grace of God has appeared. Grace has come. And what does it say there? 
this grace offers salvation to all people, uh, sufficient for everyone. And so there's, there's no one in the world that can say, I can't be forgiven. Uh, there is no person who's gone too far. Uh, it doesn't matter how judged you feel by others. It doesn't matter how dark your sin is. There's forgiveness in Jesus. There's hope in Jesus. Uh, the grace of God is for all. Uh, what, is, what does it mean to be saved? Um, it's, it's to be saved from that inevitable consequence of our sin, of just being a human being, that one day we will die, uh, one day we will f- we'll meet Jesus, one day we will face God and be judged by Him. Uh, one day we will face His anger and Jesus warned about this with tears, didn't He? If you are unforgiven at that moment, God will turn you away to everlasting darkness. Jesus came to save us from that. Now, that is, that is a massive salvation, isn't it? That is a, a wonderful salvation. And notice in verse 14, it's because he gave himself for us to redeem us. He paid a price for it. Uh, that's what it means to redeem, to pay the price, to win someone back, normally a slave. So God's kindness comes at this massive cost. Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death, his, him facing the judgment. Uh, him being separated but it's it's even bigger than that look at uh, verse 14 it's bigger than being rescued bigger than being saved second half of verse 14 says he did it to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good Uh, it's it's literally a people that are super enthusiastic to do good uh, can you see the, the idea of transformation there? We were rebels, we were ignorant of God, we lived our own way. God rescues us, God purifies us, and we are incredibly enthusiastic to do good. Our heart is fully in this. That's because the grace of God has appeared to change our behaviour. Uh, we could never do that on our own. Religion could never achieve this. This is, this is a profound work of God. And look at verse 12. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. See, what's happening slowly, inwardly, but profoundly, we're becoming different people. Uh, God is working on our hearts so that now we want to love Jesus. Uh, we, we love what He loves. We hate what He hates. And, and how does that actually work? Well, it's putting your trust in Jesus and then realising God has actually taken up his residency in your, in your heart and your life. That the Spirit of God is now working on your heart to change your desires. Uh, that it's such that in the past you, you were quite happy to say yes to sin. Uh, Yes, if I can get away with it. Uh, Yes, I want this for myself. Yes, I'll do that. Uh, You had no desire to be godly. You had no interest in church. Uh, You weren't concerned for the things of God. But now God changes you so that you actually say no to sin. You want to say no to sin. 
And, it's, and of course, it's imperfect in, in so many ways. Isn't it? It's messy. Uh, we're a work in progress. But here's where we are. We're secure in Christ and we're being slowly matured in Christ. Are confident that we're forgiven by God on a solid foundation and now God is work, doing that work of transformation to make us more like Jesus. Uh, so now we say no to sin. Uh, that is a profound work by God. Uh, and there's lots of reasons why we'll say no to sin now because we've lost interest in sin, uh, because we see the danger of sin, uh, because we don't want to displease Jesus, our Lord and Saviour, we say no to sin. That's an extraordinary work of God's kindness in your life. That is like the Holy Spirit is deep diving in your heart and removing all that ugliness of sin and rebellion and replacing it with a heart that wants to love, that wants to obey. That is a profound work that God is doing. Uh, have a listen to this guy, John Calvin, a uh, French reformer uh, from 500 years ago. Uh, you've got to love the appearance of these guys, right? Um, they're cool guys. But listen to, listen to um, what he says. He says, left to ourselves, we gratify our appetites. That's who we are. Uh, but when we yield to him, when we yield to Jesus, he produces a new work of righteousness. Uh, we, pre- we pretend to be devout at first, but we're very careless until God truly renews us. And until he renews us, we're like the beasts, which he means like animals. We're entangled in the here and now. We're like a blind man pursuing our own interests. And listen to this, he says, even the animals are not as ambitious for self as we are. No, we must escape the slavery to our our old nature. We must become new creatures. And when we're made new through faith in Christ, there is a true spiritual rest found in his governance. See what's happening? Uh, It's not an accident. You're not different for any other reason that God has done a profound work in your life. And more and more and more, you're becoming like Jesus under the control of the Spirit, uh, which means you'll be self-controlled, which is what uh, Titus 2 has been talking to us about, so that you want to do God's uh, work. You want to do His will and you want to be like Him in character. I don't know whether you were here for Grow, and I don't know whether you heard Rob's story, who, who goes to 10am, uh, but it's worth grabbing hold of uh, the, the live stream from Grow, just to hear Rob's story. As, as he, and you, we heard it tonight from, from Kylie as well, everything changes. Uh, this is who I was, this is what I did. I was hopelessly struggling with all these areas of sin in my life, And now God has done a major renovation on my heart. It's still ongoing, but it's massively different. Uh, I remember um, uh, someone telling me that when they became a Christian, uh, God changed them in so many different ways, but here's one way that it changed my friend. She said, 
I told a whole lot less lies. I realised how much I was lying to people. And now I tell the truth, or I want to tell the truth. Uh, and she was, she was just starting work, and she said, it really changes the way I work. Um, I actually tell my boss, this is what I'm going to do, and I do it. Uh, or this is why I couldn't meet the deadline. Uh, and she noticed that this was profoundly different to the rest of the company. In fact, it stuffed the whole company up. <laughs> Because they were always expecting people not to tell the truth. They were planning for people to lie. They scheduled for people to lie. They compensated for people to lie. And she wrecked it all (laughs) because she kept telling the truth. Uh, But that's just one way in which God changes people and wants uh, and, and causes us to want the things that God wants. Now, as you, as you hear that, you might think to yourself, and, and as you read uh, verse 12, that the, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, you might think to yourself, but that's not my experience. I still really wrestle with sin. I would like to say no to sin, and I'd like to say yes to godliness, but I find myself saying yes to sin and no to godliness, uh, whether that's pornography or gluttony or greed or unkindness or impatience or rudeness or drunkenness or, or envy or pride, I just keep giving into it. And what would the Apostle Paul say about that? I reckon the Apostle Paul would say, you need to be really clear on what Jesus has done for you. That at the cross, Jesus took the penalty for all of your sins. All of your sins. Uh, You need to confess and you need to turn back to Him again. And you need to know the deep, deep forgiveness from God. And you also need to know that sin will always be a battle. Uh, You need to know that God always provides a way out. And you need to know that this constant battle with sin that you have is sure evidence that you are a child of God with the Spirit of God. I remember um, when I was a lot younger Christian uh, in my home church, I had uh, an older man who was probably about the age of my father who was just a wonderful mentor to me who discipled me in the faith, and and someone that I felt that I could go to and talk about anything in life. And I I distinctly remember coming to him one day and saying to him, I feel I really have stuffed up. I really have dishonoured Jesus. I feel incredibly guilty about it. Uh, I feel awful. Um, I know I've done the wrong thing. I know this is sin. Um... And I was expecting to get from him a whole lot of sympathy and a whole lot of counsel. And he just said to me, isn't that wonderful that you're in that place? Isn't that wonderful that God has really changed you because you weren't always like this? You didn't always care so much about your sin. This is the Spirit of God convicting you. Have you confessed it to Jesus? Yes, I have. Uh, 
do you know that Jesus has paid for that sin? Yes, I do. Uh, Do you know that you are completely forgiven by God because of Jesus' death? Yes, I do. He says, okay, right, off you go. It's incredibly helpful. Uh, It was very, very meaningful because because I realised God is doing that work of changing me. There is a battle, but praise God for that battle over sin. It's what Paul says in Romans 7. He says, "I, I still do the very things I don't want to do and I struggle to get on with the things that I know I should do. That's the Christian life. That's the evidence of the Spirit's work. But here's something else that you can do if you're in that place. Ask God to do a deep work of changing your heart's desires. That would be a great thing to pray and that's something that God always wants to answer. Uh, And very often uh, change comes when when you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God and honest enough, perhaps with the help of others, to ask this question, what's going on in my heart that I want to keep going back to this sin? God wants genuine, deep change from the heart. But He not only calls us to it, He helps us, He provides for us, He empowers us. Have a look at this uh, verse in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work hard at it, take it seriously. This is your salvation. Why? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. See, you get on with it, you kill sin, because God is working in you to make it happen. That's his purpose. There's God's grace, God's kindness arrived, empowering us. Well, more quickly, let's, let's go to the second one, the arrival of glory. Have a look in verse 13. Notice all of this is happening, all of what we've just spoken about is happening, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So, grace has arrived in Jesus, glory will appear when Jesus comes a second time. Now, notice um, with this glory that's to come, Again, it's, it's not that this is the first time we will see God's glory when He comes again. We've seen God's glory. Uh, we've seen, we see God's glory in, in the creation. Uh, we see uh, God's glory in the person of Jesus when He came, when He lived, when He died and rose again. See God's glory in the church. Uh, uh, look what God has done. But it's a veiled glory. Uh, on that last day when Jesus returns, it will be completely unveiled. Uh, now the sun, it's like now the sun is, is just appearing on the horizon, then we'll experience it in its full brightness and full heat. Uh, now we see dimly, then we will see with absolute clarity. Uh, now we're being transformed, then we, we will be completely transformed. And this is a very powerful truth, this is very practical, because Paul's saying, the grace that has appeared and the glory that is to come 
help us live in this present age. So live in this present age, knowing that the grace has arrived and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and, and live in this present age knowing that the glory of Jesus will come. And I reckon that's very helpful because it tells us this present age is not all there is. Uh, it tells us that this present age is not worth dying for, uh, is not worth giving up your soul for. Christian author Tim Chester says this, everything we experience that brings us joy is but a shadow, a pale reflection of the source of joy which is God and one day we'll meet God face to face. I reckon that means there's millions of dollars of marketing money spent every year that is wasted on you. Uh, Because what is that marketing telling us? It's telling us this life is all there is. You better buy the perfect house, have the perfect job, go on the perfect holiday, get the perfect body in order to be happy. And we do fall for these things, don't we? We have bucket lists. I must have this before I die. I must do this before I meet Jesus. doesn't make sense. What would you put there? What is it that your heart so longs for, so desires that you must have it before you meet Jesus, the source of all joy? Here's God's bucket list for us. I want you to be saved by grace. I want you to be transformed by grace. I want to prepare you for the day when I come and rescue you on that last day and completely transform you to the likeness of His Son. We need help, don't we? We need help. We need the work of God's grace in our lives. And we need that constant reminder that the glory of Jesus will arrive. Uh, We need that constant reminder that there will come a day when all things will be made new. There will come a day when suddenly all those things that we thought were super important aren't as important as we thought they they were. Uh, Before I pray, let let me... take us through a couple of applications uh, about where this leaves us. I reckon if, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, if you're still feeling confused about what it means to follow Jesus, focus on God's kindness for you. If you can get hold of God has been incredibly kind to you in Jesus, that is the start of understanding what it means to be a Christian. There's the door in and there's the path that you never get off. Understand the kindness of Jesus, what he's done for you. Uh, Think about that, pray about that, ask about that. Uh, If you're struggling in sin, what's the answer? It's getting a grip on God's kindness, the forgiveness that's in Christ. Ask God to remind you of it. Or maybe you're not struggling with sin. Maybe as you hear this, you go, I'm actually okay. I'm feeling, I'm very 
you're very loose with sin, actually. Uh, you're actually quite comfortable living a- as you are, the way you are. Uh, you don't want to change. Um, you don't want Jesus to change you. Can I say, you might want to ask yourself, has the grace of God actually started in your life? See, if there's no evidence that you say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness, if there's no evidence of that, it's fair to ask, are you saved? Now, I want to say that's not the worst place to be. That's not the worst conclusion you could come to. The worst thing you could come to is to stay there. What do you need to do? You need to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Start the journey with him in the driver's seat of your life. Begin that work of being forgiven and being changed by by God. And the last thing I want to say is, super important from tonight, if you teach, we all teach one another in various ways, don't we? We need to keep remembering as we teach one another, as we lead a small group or a salt kid salt kids leader or youth leader, whatever way we teach others about God, to remember that it's all about the kindness of God, the grace of God. We never want to be people who go, actually Christianity is all about living by these rules. It's all about you doing. We need to start with, uh, continue with and end with It's about God's kindness, God's grace to us. And we need to keep reminding ourselves that there is that great glory to come where we'll realise it it is all worth it. I'm going to pray.